0: All right, guys, here's another episode of the Daily CDs. I'd like to take this time to thank all the people who've joined my Patreon. I really appreciate that. And then also the guys who have joined my membership on my YouTube channel. Uh, All that really helps a lot. And also to uh, Value Pack dog food. You know, I fed Value Pack before. I really thought it was good dog food. The hounds did really good on it. And uh, I'll be feeding it again here soon. Uh, I think it's really important that we support The companies that support what we do. Also to W Supply. Uh, They provide this platform for us to share our content. And uh, I want to thank them for that. Anyway, here's that episode. Enjoy. Okay, this is about a fellow sportsman from New York City that had a bunch of uh, apartment buildings that brought him in a big income. And he done lots of hunting. When he hunted all over the world, and if you'll look in some of these big hunting books, well, you'll find his name, Fred Hollander. And uh, he was raised in this country, of course. That's, he was of German descent, and he still had kind of a brogue to his talk. But anyway, he lined up for this lion hunt. Now, this was just before World War Two. And we now had a camp in the Brown Canyon on the west side of the Warchuca Mountains. On the east side, I beg your pardon, that was on the east side of the Warchuka Mountains. And I knew that he was going to be there the next day. So I decided that morning I'd make a circle and see if I could find any, any line sign. I knew there were some lines in those mountains. But I took a pack of hounds with me. I took five hounds. And I got over into what's called uh, Garden Canyon. Now, that's on that Fort Huachuca military reservation. But I had a permit from the commanding officer there to hunt on that reservation, to hunt lions on it. So I went over, and then I went up another little prong that pretty good sized canyon that run into that garden canyon. Now that would make me be probably five or six miles from this camp. And there was a cabin there that I was camped in and had dogs tied all around and had their little houses there. And I hit this fresh line track. Well, I decided I'd let them go. So it was fresh and They probably had this line treed within an hour, so I went tongue, and I saw that it was a good, big, female line. Well, I pretty well knew what it was from its tracks, so I stayed there with them and let them bark for a while, and this line was a pretty wild line, and it didn't want to stay in that tree anyway, so I jumped it out, and it made quite a little run, and they treed it again. Well now I didn't go to 'em that time. Because when you go to a hound and go right up tongue and they know you're there and then you right turn around and ride off and leave 'em, they don't understand that. They they don't know why that you left 'em and that'll make 'em leave a tree lots faster than it will if you'll just let 'em go and not go to them. So I didn't go to them. I just beat it back to camp. And I got back to camp and I knew that Ernest and Vincent and this hunter was going to be there that that night. But they wasn't going to be there till after dark. So I wrote them a note and I said, I'm a riding old Budweiser. That was one of my Mules, and he was a going son of a gun, I said, I, I have a lime tree in McClure Canyon. So you come into McClure Canyon, and I'll be up McClure Canyon somewhere with a line. And if you don't find me, you pick up old Budweiser's tracks and trail him up. And where you find old Budweiser, well, I'll be around there somewhere with a lime tree because I'm going to keep that line freed until y'all get there in the morning. So I turned to lose two or three more dogs, and away I went. These was young dogs that I took that time and got back up there and got back up to that tree. Now, the youngest, most inexperienced dog that I had amongst them five it had left that tree. And I met it a trailing mill, no oh, it wasn't over a half a mile from the trees, so I' got Air him, and we went on back to the line and just as I got up to that line, well, it bailed out, and they run it all around there well now there was the bluffs weren't high, but it was just kind of little rims, and this thing wouldn't leave those rims very far if it did it it'd double back and go back into there and it would tree was well, then but all that time it was getting late in the evening and it finally jumped out again and treed in a big old juniper which would be a fine place to keep it all night and a lot of wood right there so i got down and, and dug me up a bunch of wood and got all ready to stay all night and got me a fire going and uh, well, I hadn't been around that far but about an hour till it bailed out and the race was on well I had to kick out my fire and then go after him and that time it is treed about in the worst tree that it could get in now that made let's see one, two, three four trees I guess had already been in that day and I looked at it, and this was a good-sized pinon tree, probably a foot through it, and went up, maybe 40, 50 feet. And it was up in there on some limbs and looked like it was comfortable. And this tree sat right on the top of a little bluff that was about 10 feet high, and then just went right into the bottom of the canyon. And the, it was real steep there. And I looked at all over and I said, well, it'll stay here tonight. And I'll bet it stays up there all night. Because this is the worst tree it could get in for me. But it wasn't very far from the trail that they'd be coming up the next morning. So I had to take and the best I could, dig out a place in the hillside to build a fire. Because I had to have a fire because it was cold. Then I, I dug out a place for me to sit down in and it was all wet and the ground was real moist. So I managed to get a little wood and I had a good light with me. Then I tied old Budweiser and fixed everything and got as much wood as I could and built me a little fire and I couldn't build too big a fire because it it'd roll off into the canyon and uh, Boy, what I mean, I spent a miserable night. I'd sit down, and then I'd get up and turn around that little old fire, and then I'd build it back up, and I didn't get any sleep at all because I was moving around nearly all night. And sure enough, it stayed in that tree. Well, about 9 o'clock the next morning, well, I heard them a-coming way down there. And uh, they had brought two or three dogs. And here are these these dogs of theirs heard the ones I had a barking, and here they come. And, of course, I knew that they weren't too far then, and, uh, and I heard them away down there. And it stayed in the tree until they got up right close, and then it bailed out, run around there and treed again. And when we got up there, and he was quite a photographer, and he took a bunch of pictures. And he said, well, let's jump it out again. So we jumped it out again, and every time it would run a little, little shorter race. And the trees again. He got up there and took a whole bunch of pictures, and he said, well, let's jump it out. I said, now listen, Mr. Hollander. I said, that line has jumped out of a whole bunch of trees. And I said, uh, if this bunch of dogs catches that line on the ground, there's 11 dogs here with the ones you brought. Cause I'd, let's see, I'd brought five, and then when I come back, i brought three, that made eight, and they had brought three, so that made eleven. And I said, that lion wouldn't have a ghost of a shoulder with all these dogs, because they'd kill it. He said, well, he said, uh, you've explained everything to me, and told me the chances that I'm a-taking, and he said, I will be pleased If they catch it and kill it, you won't hear me make one complaint because I know what to expect. But I'd like to see if they can put it up another tree so I can get some more pictures. I said, Okay, you understand everything. He said, Well yes, I do. I said, All right, we'll jump it out. Well when that line come down not too high up that tree to jump out, it jumped out and it was and I was right there and watching it. And there was some brush there, and as it put its front feet out to, to hit, well, its front feet kind of hit a bush, and its chin kind of went down and hit on a rock. Well, it jumped right up off that mountain, it went. And all these dogs were loose. Of course, was a building right at it. And I took out after them, and they run down on this hillside going towards this canyon about 200 yards. And those dogs just caught that thing right on the ground. Well, by the time I got to it, got to them, they had it practically dead. Well, I couldn't get them off of it, so I just left them alone. And in a little bit, well, they polished it off, and they had it dead. So I said, well, you fellas, come on down here and let's get this thing. And I said, it's dead. And he didn't say a word. He said, well... He said the reason I didn't shoot that thing, it's my own fault, and I'm perfectly satisfied my My hunt's over, and he just went on back to camp then, and they took him back to Tucson and he caught a train back home and then he wrote a story about that hunt. He said, "My line treed before I got off the train. That's true that was his uh, title to his story. Well, now, this hunt took place in the swamps of Naya Reef, and uh, right down close to that big lake that I've told about before, they called Awa Bravo, that means bad water, and uh, that bad water meant that there would be, when the wind is blowing, that lake is big enough to have good waves in it, but anyway we went down and made a little fly camp away from our main camp. And the fellows that we had a hunting was from California. And one of them was a, a bow hunter. And you know, I should remember those fellows' names real well. But that's been quite a few years ago. And I just can't remember their names. Well, one of them, quite a few years before this happened, it got hurt badly in an automobile wreck. And his uh, back was bad. And he was trying to walk through those swamps, and he kept a hurting his back. So he had his partner do the hunting, and he is hunting with a bow and arrow, wanting to kill a jaguar with a bow. Well, we treed one jaguar, and he put several arrows arrow through it, and it bailed out, and there was a fight in the dogs, and right on the ground, and uh, Sammy Foster boy that's working for me to keep it from killing any of those dogs, well he killed it with a rifle. Well then after that while we was down on this edge of this brava Now that that night when we were calling, we were had went from the little fly camp from across that agua Brava into another area and was gonna only Make that one night's hunt, day's hunt there and call that night and come back and pick up our fly camp and go back to our main camp. So in our calling that night, we got two jaguars to answer him. And we called them and we knew one was coming from one direction and one the other and we called them together. And one was a, a big female and one of them was a big male. Well, the next morning we went out there and we and our striped dog, Little Brownie, picked up this tracks of this female, and away he went, and we turned them all loose, and boy, the race is on. And we were trying to follow him, and Sammy Foster and old Felice is up a ways from us. And now the minute here, and another Mexican is with them, and now in a minute here he come a running And he said, they just saw a big jaguar swim a stringer of water right up there. they just seen him. And they said for me to tell you to get those dogs and get up there. Well, here come them, the pack of dogs. And they was uh, really uh, coming right straight towards us. And I probably run for 50 yards, maybe 75 to get in front of them to see if I could get them off, take them up to where they seen that one. And just before they got to where I was, well, they went to baying right on the ground, and they had the they had the female jaguar bayed right there. Well, it they bayed along a little ways, and then it come a tree. So we got there, and this old boy put a whole several arrows in it, and it stayed up there, but it wasn't dead. And finally it started out of the tree, and I told him, I said, I can't afford to let that thing come out of that tree alive amongst these dogs. Now, are you going to, do you want to shoot it with this rifle or me? Because it'll, I know that it'll die from those arrows, but no telling how long it'll take. He said, well, if it's got to be killed with a gun, let me kill it. So he killed it. And I, I told that Mexican, I said, run back up there and get old fellas and and sammy and come on back because we got all the jaguars we want we don't want to go up there and run that other one and uh so they went up and told them so come back and we put the we had both boats there so we put the jaguar and the dogs in one boat and we got in one and the way we went back across Iowa, brava and we stopped at camp and had something to eat and then we loaded everything and Started pulling out towards our main camp, and we were just right in the edge of this Iowa Brava, and where it went into a big stringer of water there, where there wouldn't be much rough water. And now this is long in the afternoon, and the wind had come up, and there was some waves there. Well, we had this uh Curtis Jones; he was down there, and he was kind of crippled and had to. The kind of the multiple sclerosis, and would drag one leg along, but he was a good mechanic, and that's all he was there for, was to keep those outboard motors running, and we had, I think, four outboard motors. So we put the dogs, I believe that we had 14 in this boat, and we had them tied around the edges of it, so they wouldn't all shift their weight all at one time or to the back or to the front and turn that maybe turn that boat over. So we were coming in behind them and they wasn't a hundred and fifty yards from going into this still water when they hit a pretty good wave and a bunch of water come over the sides into that boat and instead of this old boy a cutting that motor And letting that boat settle down, it had to hell the weight, all right. Because those little old boats had haul lots of weight. Well, he just gunned it for all it is worth. And you know that boat, when the front end of it rose, all the water run right back to the back end. And he just kept a gunning it. And that thing just turned right over backwards, right in the water. And we were up a ways beyond. Well, here we come. And old Sammy Foster was uh, driving that, running the motor on this other boat. And as we come by that boat, I died out. And he just jumped up and left that thing running. And he died out too. And there's one Mexican boy run back then and cut off the motor and got the boat back up there close to this and it's turned over. And old Sammy and Phyllis went to driving under that boat and a cutting dogs are loose. And they cut several loose, and when they did, they'd be you senior drowned that I'd take and, and take them over and get them in that other boat. And we got out several dogs. Well, I guess we got six out, and eight was drowned right there. And what I mean, there was a pack of Jaguar dogs there that were an honest-to-goodness real pack of Jaguar dogs, and they had caught lots of Jaguars. And I was a long time of building back up before I built up that good a pack. And so, then we went on to camp with what we had left. And that old cook up there that had one dog in the bunch, well, let's see, we had Rounder. Now, he was a bobtail small hound, 50-pound hound, and he was half blue tick and half walker. Then I had a good-sized, rangy-built female that was just in her prime. Now, rounder was a slowing up, but this Lily wasn't. And I think Lily was the best dog there. <clears throat> and she was a, a fairly tall, rangy-built, real muscled-up female. And you would say she was a, spotted and had ticks on her. You'd say she was of the English color. And then I had two small hounds there that I call, and they were solid red out of out of music, which was a real smart hound, but they were mean. They were mean to either people or animals. And when they got to a jaguar, they always made him stop or they got hurt, and they were hurt, hurt a lot of times that season. Uh, I called them dude and dandy. So that would make four. Then I had a big blue tick that was a, a good hound and I called him Bing. Then I had a black and tan that I called Sport. And let's see, that would make six. Now, well, I had seven in that, in that deal and I can't right off call the name of the other one. And I don't remember the name of the one that that old cook had. But when we got back up there and told that old cook about it, well, I think it hurt him as bad as uh, losing that one. He wasn't any good anyway, but I didn't want to tell him just really how sorry he was because it would have hurt him too bad. And I believe it hurt him just as bad about losing that one, you'd say, about worthless dog as it did me losing that whole bunch. But we got out. Three out of there that were, that that were good hounds, but both of them was old. And let's see, out of fourteen there was six. And then this Mexican, he had a couple of little old hounds there that was saved out of the bunch, and they weren't any good either. Anyway, we saved six, and that was a pretty sad procession when we come back into that main ranch. And the Jaguar was in that boat with them, and we didn't lose the Jaguar. It lodged under a seat, and it never did fall into the water. We got the boat righted back up, and the Jaguar was still under the seat. But we'd lost a bunch of stuff out of the boat. So the next morning, we went back down there and pretty well spotted the place, And old felly's. Then he fellas is a man older than I was. And another boy there that was raised right there working for us. And they dived down and on the floor of that lake. And they were diving from 12 to 15 feet of water. And they'd go to the bottom and they retrieved a lot of that stuff that we'd lost out of the boat and got most everything. And they even brought up a six-shooter that was laying down there that was lost out of that boat, and so then we come on back, and that was supposed to be the last day of the of the hunt of that season, and it was, and it's a good thing it was because we were really short on jaguar dogs then, and that was a that, that hunt come out all right for game because we'd gotten two jaguars, but it didn't come out very good for hounds. Well, old Sammy Foster and I both tried diving out and going down like them other boys did. Well, we could manage to get to the bottom, but we wouldn't have enough wind then left to look very much till we'd have to turn around and come back out. So we didn't do very good on the diving because those Mexican boys could really skin us when it comes to that. Well, this is about a a guaranteed jaguar hunt. Now, we don't guarantee hunts because anything can happen. And uh, we usually got what we went after, but we didn't always get what we went after. And you couldn't afford to guarantee hunts and then not get anything and not get paid anything for it. Because we was having a hard time making a go of it anyway. But anyway, this fellow was named John McKeel, and he was from Essex Falls, New Jersey, and he had been down there the season before and went up over into New Mexico with uh, Bill Lee, and Bill Lee was one of had done by far less hunting than any of the Lee boys with hounds. But Bill took him over there anyway, and, and they, I think, more or less accidentally caught a line. But anyway, then he wrote, and he wanted to come back on a jaguar hunt. But he didn't say anything about going to have to have a guarantee. And so when he came back the next year, he was on his honeymoon. He had come down to Florida and got married. And then drove out there in an old Model A Ford, he and his wife, and landed there at Paradise and wanted to go jaguar hunting. But he wanted a guaranteed jaguar. And I wasn't there when when the guarantee was made, because if I had been, there would have been a big ruckus. But this older brother, Ernest, he just... Figured that Clell and I could do most anything, and so all right, he had he guaranteed him a jaguar. Now, I'd been out on a lion hunt somewhere, and came in and Ernest told me, says, "Well, says uh, John McKeel, we all called him Mac, says he wants to go on a jaguar hunt, and says I guaranteed guaranteed him a jaguar." Well, now we hadn't done a, a Powerful lot of jaguar hunting up to that time. And we had never had been way south in Denia, Reet, and down in there. Sonora had been the only place that we had jaguar hunted. And I said, well, now, Ernest, I don't like that. I said, guaranteeing that old boy a jaguar, anything could happen. And if we don't get him a jaguar, we don't get any pay. And if we did fail to get him a jaguar, we would be out a doggone good bunch of money. Because it's going to take quite a little to get down there and expenses and all that and make this hunt. Oh, he said, I think you boys can do it all right. I said, yeah. I said, "Uh, you can guarantee it, but we're the ones that have to do it. Well, he said, I've already done it. I've already guaranteed him a jaguar hunt and told him you'd take him. And so, we took old John Bindle, his old, his father, Ernest's father-in-law, which is a man then up in years, is the camp cook. And he was a pretty good camp cook. And uh, so Benson went with me then to help on the hunt. So we loaded up. <clears throat> we went to Douglas and crossed it our Prieta, And it took, I think, about a day and a half over those roads to get down to where we was going to hire a pack outfit and go over to that (coughs) where the, that Rio Vavispe and the Rio Iris runs together. Well, now that Vavispe, on the upper end of it is called Vavispe, and then as you get farther down on it, the same river, they call it Rio Granado. So that was really the Rio Granado, and it and the Rio Iris run together and they were smaller rivers, and of course they were bigger when they run together then. And they formed the Rio Yaqui, which is a pretty good river, and it's the main river of Sonora, Mexico. And it all of the headwaters of it is from up into the United States. And we are about 150 miles south of the headwaters, maybe a little farther. But anyway, well, we had been down there before and in that area, and that's where we hit that dry weather and hard going in it. And, uh, had in the last two days had caught two Jaguars and two big lions. So we hired us a, a whole outfit and some Mexicans that more or less knew the country pretty good and packed over there. And I knew where we wanted to go and make camp. Well, I thought there was the most jaguars that I knew of around in that area. And when we hit them rivers, they were so big we couldn't cross them. So we had to camp on the side of the river that we were on, which would be on the east side. West, west, no, be on the west side. And so, all right, we made this camp up in a little side canyon there right off the river which was a nice little camp, running little running stream and, and a lot of feed for mules. We had all mules except this one old mare that we took and we called her the bell Mare. Now you could take those mules and put that bell on that old mare and hobble her up in good feed and you could bet your life that every one of them mules would stay around that old bell Mare. And go up and, and get her and take her hobbles off and lead her into camp. And every mule would follow her right into camp. And that's the way we kept track of our saddle animals. Because we couldn't keep them tied all the time and ride them. Because that was hard gold. And we would took in a, a little grain for them, Which, not too much, but we feed them a little grain along. So, all right. I thought it all over, and I said, now, listen, boys, we can't get to where we want, I want to go. So we're going to start here, and we're going to take a pack mule with us, and we're going to take two Mexicans, and Vincent and I, and McKeel. That'll be five of us. And we're going to leave here at daylight in the morning, and we're going to lay down under that tarp on a blanket, And we're going to stay out two nights and make big circles till we find the jaguar and know where we want to hunt and stay in camp one. Well, now, see, I don't think we'd have had so much trouble of finding some jaguar sign if we could cross those rivers or that one after the other two run together. But they were all a flooding, so we just couldn't take the chance. Because it was liable to lose some of her pack animals and a lot of her equipment and supplies and things, and we just couldn't afford to do, to take the chances, because that river, both of them, was a rolling. And uh, so we had to make her camp on that west side of the river. That was just compulsory, not that we wanted to. And that's the reason we had to make these big circles to find where we wanted to hunt. Well, then uh, we'd spent that night in camp. So early the next morning, while we at daylight, while we pulled out again, we'd we'd got a little extra supplies and we'd got some fresh mules and fresh dogs. Now on those huge circles like that, you really do knock your dogs out because you travel for miles and miles. Well, we made another two-day circle and laid out for uh, two nights. That'd be three days altogether. And late that evening we come in, well, on that circle, we had found the tracks of a big male jaguar, but it was several days old and we never could find where he went or just that one place is all we found is tracks. Of course the dogs could, couldn't could smell him one one bit and they never did even act like they ever got a little will. And so we stayed in camp that night. Early the next morning we was up to go again and we got up and I woke this John McKeel up. And I said say hey, Mac, I said get up now because the mules are saddled. We've all eaten breakfast. And we've got your breakfast cooked. And just as soon as you eat, we're riding out of here. And he didn't get up. So I went back. To, we had him a tent made. And we were sleeping under flies. Just tarp stretched up. I had him and his wife a tent made. Put up. So I woke him again. And waited a little while, and he didn't get up. So I went down there the the third time, and I said, Now listen, McKeel, you're coming out of there. I'm going to give you five minutes, and if you're not out, I'm going to come in there after you. And when I come in there after you, I'm going to get you by the heels, and you're going to land down here in this little, little stream of water. And maybe that'll wake you up and make you so you can get up. Well, he... And I meant it, and he knew that I did. So I, I, he he come out, ate breakfast, and he's kind of little, kind of grouchy. And we hadn't rolled very far till he got up pretty close to me, and he said, "Dale, what's the push?" I said, "Listen, Mac," I said, "You wouldn't come down here without a guaranteed jaguar, and Ernest guaranteed you a jaguar." I said, I didn't guarantee you the jaguar, Ernest did. And I said, Mac, you're going to stay with me until I get you a jaguar, and by golly, you're going to go. And now, it's not my doings, it's your own doings. He rode a little ways farther, and he said, Well, Dale, I'm going to figure on doing some more hunting with you. But I'll tell you one thing, this is the last guaranteed hunt I'll ever go with you on. So then if I am awful tired and all and want to lay in a day, I can. I said, all right, Mac, that's up to you. But this is this is the guaranteed hunt we're on now. Well, we made a, a real big circle. And the second day, well, we did hit the tracks of a female jaguar. And the dogs could smell it a little bit. And they could trail it a little bit. Now, here's how tired those dogs were. We were just traveling them to death. One of them got tangled up in some vines, and I had to go and cut him out because he is so tired he couldn't get out himself. Well, I don't think I mentioned it before. Maybe I did. This old boy was on his honeymoon, and that might have been kind of the reason that I was having a hard time getting him up. But I didn't have a hard time getting him up only just that one morning. But anyway, we went on back to camp then. I'm sure that is the third day circle. Got into camp real late that evening. And the next morning then, we were going again at daylight. And we headed in the direction that that female jaguar was traveling. Well, we probably about all real. Pretty late in the, real late in the evening, while we was up kind of at the head of a pretty good-sized canyon that had a good running stream in it. And we spread out our tarp and got under it and took, see, we always carried a little bit for us to eat and the dogs and the mules. And we would stake our mules out on those trips at night to the best grass we could find so they could get something deep and those were small mules but let me tell you when they're raised up in Mexico they're raised to be tough and rugged if they don't they just don't live so the next morning then we made this went way down this canyon and we hadn't went so very far until we found where this female jaguar had crossed, but They couldn't, the dogs couldn't smell it. So we went on down, right on down that creek, and I imagine a mile farther, where we found where she had crossed, back from that side, back to the other side, and it was still so old, the dogs couldn't smell it. So I imagine then we went on down not over a half a mile, and uh, found where she had crossed back over to, to the other side again. And the dogs could just faintly smell of tracks. They couldn't trail her, but they could smell it good enough that they, they could ball on it some. And uh, I said, boys, this is it. Let's go. They said, what are you going to do? I said, we're going back to that camp, and we're going to get that camp, and we're going to come over here and make camp right on this stream. There's lots of good feed in here and good shade trees, and... Uh, it's a good place it's it's a good place to camp i said i noticed the spot back up yonder just before we hit the tracks where she had crossed first and i said it'll be a a fine camp and so we're just going to beat it back to camp which will take us until the the afternoon and then we're going to get everything packed up that we possibly can and going to pack everything in the morning. And we're going to bring it over here, which will take about a day's pack to get back here with a pack outfit. And so I said, I'll figure out just exactly then what we're going to do after we get in here and camp. So we did. We done that. We went back to camps and got everything as much packed up as we could. For the next morning and then the next morning it didn't take us too long to get everything together and we got them on our pack animals and away we come. Well now you want to realize that we had 20 head of pack animals because we had to pack all the supplies for a long hunt in case we had to make it. So you can, there were uh just uh three Mexicans and uh benson and i that was uh, trying to get those pack animals so it takes a while to pack that many animals and to get the packs balanced and everything to where it'll, it'll stay on a pack animal so we went on then and went back in there to this place that i'd picked for a camp and it was a it was a pretty camp and we got our stuff off and we was uh, getting a McKeel's tent and getting the flies and everything all fixin' her. Of course, we had tied our dogs right the first thing when we got there because we didn't want them astraying off or going off and maybe go, trying to go hunting by themselves. But they were pretty well wore down because they had covered miles and miles in the, the last few days. So... As we was a million around here, here was a, kind of a funny thing that happened. Well, right in the middle of this camp, Vincent well, walked up to me and he said, Listen, Dale says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I said, What did you do? He said, I'll bet you $5 that I can show you a Jaguar track within 20 steps. While well, I stood there and thought a little bit and we had just been a million into taking stuff down in the dogs all over everything and would, And you know, I knew there was something a little bit fishy about that. So I said, what did did you do? Did you find a, a jaguar track in a cow chip?" I just happened to enter my mind, which was, I guess, just an accident. And he just grinned and he said, well, I'm just wondering how you guessed that. And he had found out there a, a, Good Jaguar track made in a, right in a cow chip when the cow chip was soft and that thing had dried up and got real hard and it was just a perfect Jaguar track. And just one little corner of it broke off. And you know, I took that thing and put it in a little box and I brought it back home when we come back. And when, and my brother put it in one of his desk drawers and would show it to people when they'd come in. And he still had that Jaguar track when he passed away. And then his wife gave it to me and I finally, in my travels, thought, well, I lost it. I don't know what happened to it. But anyway, when we got our camp all fixed, I said, well, late that afternoon, I, Told one of them Mexicans, I said, "Zaddle me, me, my mule." They said, "What are you going to do?" I said, "Well, I got an idea." And I said, "I don't want anybody with me. I'm going up here by myself." They said, "Well, what are you going to do?" I said, "I'm going to figure out a circle to make, and we're going to make that circle every morning. And when that jaguar crosses that circle, I intend to catch it. And uh, that then when we come in here, we will be in here. If we don't hit anything by not later than 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and we won't have our mules and our, and our dogs travel to death. So I did, and I got up there, and I figured the circle. And uh, so the next morning, we started that circle. And all right, the dogs hit a bobcat. And before, and it was a just a practically a jump track. And before I knew what they was doing, where well, well, they had the bobcat treed. and we made went on and made the circle, and the jaguar hadn't come through. So the next morning, what we made that same circle and didn't strike anything, and come in, and we'd be in there anywhere. Well, I think that day we got in about one o'clock in the afternoon. And the next morning we'd done the same thing and we hit the fresh track of an ocelot and the dog street it. We went on, made our circle, no Jaguar track. Well, let's see, I guess that one, two, three, I guess that was the third day then we'd made this same circle. Well, the next day we made this circle. And we got after a line, and before I found the track good, and knew that it was a line and wasn't that jaguar, well, they went on and jumped the line, and we got it—a good big female line. Well, that is the fourth day, and we went on though and made a complete circle, and no jaguar track. Well, the fifth day, while well, we was making this same circle. And just before we finished the circle, while we hit the the tracks of that female jaguar, and of course I knew that it was made sometime that night. But it was uh, getting pretty hot then. But the dogs took it pretty good, and they went on to a big mountain there that was awful, awful bluffy and rimmy And you couldn't get up on it with any saddle animals. So I jumped off of the saddle animals and took after the dogs afoot. And they got up on in these rims and they kinda of turned down to where these rims come out to a point and dropped off at the forks of two canyons there. And they were good big bluffs. And these hounds jumped that thing up in these bluffs and I couldn't stay up with them to really hear them good and they went around a kind of a point and over a bluff and out of my hearing well in just a little bit though i could hear them and i could tell that they were that they were bayed and i knew pretty well that that thing wouldn't tree it is going hole. and so i got down right close to them and they were kind of in under a bluff on a good big bench and I got up above them and looked down there, and I had five dogs, and there were just three barking in a hole. And I knew the noise that they were making and what was happening because that thing was a charging out at them from that hole, charging out at these dogs. Well, when I got down close to them, I didn't go down to the hole because the the hole wasn't big enough that the jaguar couldn't, could get back out of sight. So I didn't want to go down there and have the jaguar see me. So I went in above the hole. And I then I saw where the other two dogs was. There was a little bluff there. It must have been 10 feet high. And these other two hounds was a barking in under that. And they couldn't get back up. So this jaguar would run them off of there, charging them. So I stepped out on a point right there, right close to where I could holler around, and I hadn't had too much of Jaguar experience then. And that's one time right there that it learned me not to holler around and make any noise of a human voice around the Jaguar because it's going to make them do something. So I hollered around that point to Vincent and, and, uh, and Mac and said, come on, they got it. Well, they had heard the dogs and knew they were, that they were bayed, and so they had started to come. And then they got up quite a ways, and Vincent had forgot a, a, to get a light that we'd carry to go in a hole with if we had to, and he run back to the mules after this light. But Mikiel answered me that right there, just a few steps around that point, and he said, I'm a-coming. Well, now in a minute, those three dogs that was up there was old uh, Peggy, a little white and red-spotted English-looking dog, and Abe, at least a 75-pound big hound, blue tick, and Amos, a big red tick that was out of a red tick female, and Abe, and he was a red tick, and he was as big as Abe, and they were in good condition and sp- out and hard from a lot of work and now a minute they would said wah 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 and i looked around and that jaguar had come out of that hole and i was standing up probably oh i wasn't over 30 feet from it if that far and he just looked up at me on that rock and didn't charge those dogs he just kind of got down kind of crouched and was just weaving its head from side to side in a growling and coming right from me on that rock. Well, I just turned around and looked at it, because I sure didn't want to kill it, because I had old McKeel right there, he was right close. And when that happened, I guess those dogs figured that that jaguar was going to catch me. Because old Abe went up and grabbed that jaguar by the side of the head on one side, and old Amos run up and grabbed it right on the other side of the head and Peggy grabbed it by the, by the hilt. And for, they held it for just an instant. Now this was, as I told you, was a female jaguar that doesn't grow anything like the size of a big male. Well, it took one front claw and knocked Abe loose and then the other one and knocked uh, Amos loose and uh, reached back and slapped Peggy and she turned loose. But instead of them trying to get out of the way of it then, the battle was on. And old Abe and that jaguar was right head on. And they both reached out to get a hold of one another. And the jaguar got old Abe's upper jaw in its mouth. And it come down on him and me standing there looking at him. And I'll tell you, the bones just popped. And old Abe, Amos then grabbed that jaguar right by the side of the head and gilled that thing a twist and broke out one of those canine, its lower left hand canine tush on its bottom jaw. Broke it out on that old dog's head and when that tush broke, it would just snap like a stick And I saw it fly out of its lip and was hanging to the edge of its lip. And I saw that, standing right there looking at them. Well, I knew that I was going to have to do something or I'd probably kill those three dogs because our our dander was up and they was going to battle. And uh, I turned around and said to old McKeel, I said, get down here or I'm going to kill that thing. And he said, don't kill it, don't kill it. And he stumped his toe and fell down. And I run right down to those dogs and I had an old octagon barrel thirty thirty that had been a, a long barrel and it'd been cut off and had used it for many years. And I just took it like a baseball bat and I hit that thing right straight across the head just as hard as I could hit it, and that old gun just vibrated like it's just about to fall to pieces and bounced plumb back up into hitting position again, and I just come down and hit that thing again, right across the head with the barrel of that gun, and I hit it hard. Well, when I hit it that second time, that old gun bounced back again, but I knocked it off of this little bluff. It was close to the edge of it, and you know, now you can figure how hard a wallop that that thing took because I know good and well that if I'd have walked up to a man and a wrapped him on the, the top of the head like I did that jaguar with that gun, I know good and well that it would have crushed his skull. But when that, that thing hit at the bottom of that bluff, now that was a funny thing, here these two dogs was looking up that bluff and a barking that couldn't get up, and it hit a straddle of one of them. Well, they jumped back. The, the jaguar jumped up and the dog jumped back. And both of these hounds jumped and grabbed that thing right by the hill. And it just turned, kind of turned and took one fall and it knocked them both loose. It one wallop because I was standing right there looking at them. Well, old Abe had went over that bluff and jumped away out there. And that hillside was so steep, he must have rolled off in there for at least 50 feet, maybe farther. And it was so steep, he just barely couldn't climb back out. Well, when I turned old Amos loose to keep him from jerking me off, well, he hit right close. And old Peggy jumped off, but she wasn't, of course, as vicious as old Abe and Amos. And that old Amos and Abe was mad. And old <clears throat> this jaguar got right back against the foot of the bluff there, and old Amos was a walking right I- into its face, which meant he w- he's liable to not walk into another jaguar's face because that jaguar I think would have killed him. And I said, "Don McKeel, he was right by me there then, and I raised my gun. I said, you kill it, or I'm a going to.'" And by golly, he raised up and pulled the trigger, and he killed. Of course, he killed that thing, the first shot, which he should have, which wasn't over 15 feet away from him, 20 at the most. And all right, then, we finally got down there, and Vincent got there by just a little bit after that happened then, and we pulled the Jaguar back up that small bluff with a rope, all three of us. And we got our dogs back out and got them up there and went around that point and finally carried the Jaguar to the our mules which weren't far from there down in there. And we loaded it on and we went on back to camp. And by the way, I felt good because the guarantee was filled. And that made he was a fourteen day hunt or a jaguar. And that made eighteen days that we had hunted. We had to hunt four days over time, but he was lucky. He got nearly all the cats of one of each in that area. Well he did. That is all in the desire. Was a jaguar, a lion, a bobcat, and an otter.